0: Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Jeffrey Shaw is back today for a second time after sharing how to speak your customer's lingo in episode 123. Jeffrey, you're one of the only few returning guests we've ever had, so I am fired up as you're bringing and introducing your new book, The Self-Employed Life. Jeffrey, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey,
1: Jesse. Well, now I'm even more honored. I mean, I thought I was just going to have fun and hang out with you, but now I'm even more honored to find out I'm a repeat.
0: So I mean, it's I'm you watching. and Shep Hyken right now. Like that's it. Like that's, you know, it's just the two of you guys. That's so, good company. You got this new book. I yeah. need to know the origin of it. I know a little bit of your backstory, but give me a little of the origin of where this book came from.
1: Oh man. You know, I just love that everything you're about is about standing out, be doing things differently, doing business differently, because that's been my whole life, you know, and that really is the impetus of the book. I mean, to be self-employed is such a different way of doing business in the world. The problem is nobody has addressed our needs, literally. Like, And you know what? I'll also put some of the onus of responsibility on self-employed people because they don't own the difference. So I'll tell you how I know that in a logical sense. I, I relaunched my website last year and I hired somebody to do some keyword research. There's no one in the world searching for the term self-employed. So then I got me killed. Like, what the, what the hell do people call themselves? Like... I've been self-employed and that's the story in the book, the leading story in the book because I've been self-employed since 14 years old. I sold eggs door to door. I've actually never had a job, never received a paycheck. So I'm like, what the hell do people call themselves? And I started doing all this research and asking people and the closest keyword that people search for is small business. Okay. So from a strategic standpoint, I rebranded my website, focused on all keywords, small business but once you get there, you realize I am entirely for self-employed business owners. The problem with calling yourself a small business is very practical. Most of us, the people that I most care about and the businesses that are really driving the economy, many of us are too small to be considered small business because small business technically is up to 500 employees. Right, and here's where it's a problem, And, and this pandemic brought up an interesting point around it is that when the PPP loans came around, I have a lot of connections in Washington. So I was able to actually read that legislation before it was public. And it was the first time in US history, a piece of US legislation mentioned self-employed people. First time in history. Wow! Because what happened in the Great Recession, and one of the advantages of being uh, in business a long time like me, you see a lot of circumstances. People like us, businesses of fewer than 10 or 20 people could not get funding or have not been able to get financial help in the past because the US considered us monetized hobbies. They put a limit that you were a small business if you had minimum of 20 employees, maximum 500. So that left out scores of people. And those are the people I care about. So I realized in doing this research that man, no one is helping the small businesses. Nobody really, the macro businesses. Nobody's helping the self, employed I even went to Amazon, searched books for self-employed. There aren't any. The books that are there are things like how to make six figures when you're self-employed. It was all so unrealistic to what I know as a lifelong self employed person, I had to write the book. I'm like, there needs to be a resource guide for self employed business owners that's so realistic that speaks to the fact that they're not just in business for themselves, but it is personal. Right? I mean, how many times in business have we heard, don't take it personal, it's business? That's not true when you're self employed, it's all personal.
0: There's a link together. And so theoretically, well, I'm self employed. Yeah. Not only obviously the speaking and everything else, but the Savannah Mm -hmm. Bananas. Where do you define when you go from self-employed to, I guess, small business?
1: First of all, I think it's a personal choice. I mean, there are some technical divisions. And I want to add here something just really, I think, is really significant looking down the road. There are, let's say, grumblings. I don't want to, you know, say too much. I don't want to thwart any process. But there's talk of there possibly being a whole separate department in the U.S. government for self-employed business owners, right? So we have the SBA. Yeah. And there is talk of their becoming a department for the self-employed. So that's how much the government is starting to recognize the, the economic impact of, small, yeah. of self-employed businesses. So there will be some criteria, I'm sure, as to size of business, be it sales or maybe employees, as there is for small business. But right now, it hasn't really determined. So to me, it's kind of a vibe, like how do you feel? One of the advanced readers of my book is uh, a CEO of a manufacturing company. And when she read the book, she has about 40 to 50 employees. Okay. And in her review of the book, as favorably, she loved the book. And she's, she actually commented that although the book wasn't written really for her size business, she got so much value out of it. Yes. You know, I don't know. There's no definite number there. To me, it's just, in a way, it's how personal does your business feel to you?
0: Yes. And I think that's what I got linked up. You know, Reading the summary, going through it, I was like, there's a link, my identity a lot to the bananas is that everything it's like, this is my baby. This is my passion. And it's my dream. I mean, self-employed, like this, it's almost your livelihood.
1: Yeah, it is. I the other cutting off point is realizing, recognizing that how you need to do business is different than small business under the technical terms or big business. And that's what we're surrounded with. We're surrounded by the practices of big companies. And hey, I'm really into cross-innovation. Like I love to pay attention to what big companies are doing and then probably doing the opposite and putting my own spin on it because that's what works for me. One of the distinguishable differences, a lot of most businesses are transactionally based. Hmm. One of the ways you know you're self-employed is your business is primarily relationally based. And that look look how you run your business. It's so relationally based. And what's important about that is, For businesses, what do we see in the world? We see businesses that are more transactionally based, run promotions for new customers only. That's the worst thing you can do when you have a relationally based business. You actually wanna have privilege and and programs in your business that honor your steady customers, your consistent customers.
0: and I think there's so much to value this, knowing the people behind the brand. You know, knowing the people behind, as you're building your business, self-employed, I mean, yes, you are the brand, but as you can grow a little bit, the more you become distant. And it's just, I think that the relationship, that connection is missing. And we try to, everyone on our team, I mean, we do Facebook lives with our team cooking in their own houses. We try to get to behind the scenes and show our people. And I think there's something there in the self-employed life to almost everyone. You're your own brand within the business relationship and connect with people. Is there something there as well?
1: Hundred percent. I mean, first of all, I think it's one of the advantages. I mean, it's one of the things I have loved about this virtual world we're living in because I love the opportunity to make it more real. Identifying as self-employed business owners and having more of a personal brand. You and I are probably more comfortable of doing a video or a virtual event or something in our living room and you know showing bits of our house in the background, where the CEO of a major company is going to be very hesitant to do that right? Because they don't have the same emotional attachment and there's, there's a wall between them and their business. There's yes. no wall between us and our business. So in a way, it's a fantastic opportunity. And, and I'll tell you another, I demonstrated another way that we know this is true. A lot of people don't realize the changes LinkedIn has made. Mm-hmm. So now LinkedIn has for so long been the online resume platform, right? It has been for, which I've always had a LinkedIn profile, but not sure why. And I never did anything with it because I'm—I've never been looking for a job, yeah. and I don't expect I ever will. And that's not where I would find employees. So it's there, but I, well, they have made major changes to the point that they actually are better now for personal brands than traditional employment. I actually, I interviewed someone on my podcast, and he's Marissa Polcelli, and because I hired her to completely redo when I found this out, I had her—I interviewed her—and then I realized the changes, I had to redo my LinkedIn profile, which has been, I mean, my views have skyrocketed, the engagement has skyrocketed. I wound up helping her develop a whole service called LinkedIn for personal brands, because they actually have changed the platform so good for self-employed business owners and us personal brands. So even they, as big of a company as they are, they have kind of swung the pendulum to being more adaptable and a great way to connect with people uh, that your business is a one. You're a personal brand.
0: Yeah, LinkedIn's been a huge tool. I couldn't agree more. And I want to go into the actual book. So yeah. you broke it up to three categories. And again, first defining the problem. You, you mentioned the problem. There's nothing there for self-employed people. But what is the problem that self-employed people are fighting within business?
1: I think there's two. There's two core problems. The one that really stood out to me is every time I ask a self-employed person why they went into business for themselves, everybody has the same answer. And they say something like, "I wanted to control my destiny. I wanted mm-hmm. to control my future. I want to control the hours I work." to which I then reply, how's that going for you? <laughs> right? Everybody laughs because that's the irony of being self-employed. We go into business for ourselves thinking we're going to control our lives and we enter completely uncontrollable circumstances. Okay, So that's one of the core problems. And then that introduces the second problem is how do we get help for our business done, diff- done differently? We wound up Running all over the place, we hire coaches for our mindset. We hire gurus for our strategies. We go to conferences for k- trainings, and then we're accused of being all over the place. We're accused of not having a niche. We're accused of being a hot mess, or we're calling ourselves a hot mess. But the world hasn't put everything in one place for us, and that is exactly so. I've addressed both these issues. One is I develop and introduce what I call the self-employed ecosystem, which consists of three primary elements. I call it an ecosystem because it's true in business as it is in nature that if something is wrong in your ecosystem, it can kill the whole thing, okay? So, I want to introduce this ecosystem concept so self-employed business owners take care of the whole nut, right? Not just the one piece they focus on, which tends to be hustle. (laughs) There's a lot more to it than that. Yes. Otherwise, they're just working really hard and hardly getting ahead. You're a hamster on a wheel. So, the ecosystem introduces how to gain control of, you know, control the results you want by setting up the circumstance, by taking care of the environment. If you set up the environment. It almost can't not happen, yeah. all right? Then I also introduce the three parts of the ecosystem are personal development, business strategies, and the last are daily habits. And this is lacking for a lot of people is consistent mindsets and daily habits so that you can even out the ups and downs. So the concept of the ecosystem is it gives you control over your business, far more control over your business than you've had and strategies to manage what you can't control so you don't get derailed. And then everything's in one place. I'm a coach. I've received over 1,000 hours of training as a coach. So you've got all my personal development knowledge. You've got my 36 years of business strategies and things that actually work, right-sized strategies for self-employed. And you've got habits and practices and mindsets that I've been introducing to my coaching clients for years that I have absolute evidence that they level out the ups and downs. So everything's in one place.
0: You know, I couldn't agree more. And the personal developments and the daily habits, I mean, I've started, you know, the miracle morning five years ago on how you start your morning. And I read and write and stuff. It changed everything. Started your day on purpose. And those certain habits have been a big win. And I've shared that with the listeners here. And obviously, personal development. You got to keep growing, learning, developing. That's so key. But I do want to dive into business strategies. I think I want to get in because there's some unique things that you bring up in the business strategies that I want to go into more One in particular, I mean, you start with hug marketing, which, you know, that's a great term, but I want to go into that a little bit more, the business answer to getting control.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and I do refer to them as right-sized business strategies, right? So that we're not trying to behave like much bigger businesses and, and what the difference is. And hug marketing is the one a lot of people are latching onto. And it is, I think, it struck me interesting when I when I launched Lingo, how many people describe me as being disruptive because I think I'm like the nerdiest guy on the planet. <laughs> like, I'm not cool enough to be disruptive. I don't even, I don't <laughs> even wear torn jeans. Like, my de- jeans are pressed. But in a lot of ways, I realized that my philosophies are disruptive. Yes. And hug marketing is, is one of them because one of the things that has pissed me off for, for years in business is the idea of a marketing funnel. First of all, I hate most marketing terms. Yes. Energetically. Target audience. Marketing at people or to people. And the funnel idea has been a horrible representation of what our goal is. Yeah.
0: You want to make people go down a funnel. Like that just sounds
1: terrible. Squeeze them through the smallest hole. Like it's like you're wide open at the top. You know that energetically, Jesse, you and I know that is probably the way 80% of business people function.
0: Well, it's the short term wins. And like anything, you can put a funnel in play and you can see immediate results. You can't see immediate results of brand play, of hug marketing. And people don't want to play the long game. They're so focused on the short game, but the long game wins in the end. And that's what we're trying to play here. And I'm guessing that's kind of a hug marketing mindset
1: too. 100%. And it also, hey, I'm logical. I know what people mean by a funnel. It's one step to another. But here, the difference is, let's create a, a bit of a visual here. We all know what a funnel looks like. Well, hug marketing is a series of concentric circles. So you've got outer rings and then they get smaller and smaller until in the center is the hug. Yes. Okay. The hug is one step in from customer, and that's the problem. A lot of people, if they even go on a journey, they stop at acquiring the customer. What I'm really focused on is how can that customer become a repeat customer, a source of a referral, an advocate, and that's where the hug comes in. You know, I had a 70% retention rate in my photography business for 35 years. Like, that was the number one metric. That made my life easy. That means. So what, I did, you, had, what did you do? What did you do? Oh, man. So I talk about these things in the, the book, like how to, there's a whole chapter on loyalty and, and referrals yeah. and retention. So one thing is I love as a technique is presumptive language, right? To speak to your customers as if, right? To speak to them right from the beginning as if you're going to see them over and over again. So I'll give you an example. As a photographer, when people would reach out for my services, I would put in the extra effort to go to their home. I photograph entirely on location. So most often it was my client's mansions, right? So I would go to their home And uh, because there's no better place to photograph than their homes. (laughs) So I would go to their home. And yes, I went there to to help them prepare, maybe pick out some clothing. But really, I was there to walk around the house and help them decide where they're going to hang the portraits on the walls. So, two presumptions there. Well, actually, I'll go even further. So I would walk around, I would usually look for what I called a secondary wall, right? Because it's hard to get people to commit to the primary wall. They might have an idea for a painting or some phenomenally expensive piece of art but the secondary wall, walls were a goldmine. Those are the walls, the hallway walls, their walls going up staircases. I would say to my client, how do you see this being decorated with portraits over the next 10 years? Okay. So what did I just do? Two yeah. things. One, I have ruled out any assumption that they're going to focus on buying eight by tens for the table, right? I am speaking about wall portraits right up front and introducing that we're going to be working together for 10 years right? How do you envision this coming together? So now I've just taken on responsibility for a 10-year project for them. That's what I mean by presumptive language. So I encourage people to look at all the touch points from step one, sales meeting, everything. Consider how can you shift your languaging so you're speaking in as if, right? So you're not speaking in transactional one-off terms.
0: So can we say for the bananas, our team right here, you know, again, we have a team, we have games year round. So what would be an example with a fan that jumps on the wait list or is about to get tickets or comes in the office, what would be some kind of that presumptive language you would use?
1: First of all, it seems to me you're doing a lot right. I mean, you have, I mean, what is your repeat, you know, I don't know if you call them customers or fan rate, like how often do people come to
0: games? I mean, every game's sold out and there's a wait list for tickets in the thousands. So, I mean, we don't we have very little churn. The only churn we have is when people move out of town. But, right, right. So there's demand there, but I, I like, I want to put this in a context of business presumptive language. You know, what would we use? To say, can you say next time? Like, what are ways other businesses could use this?
1: Yeah. So, one thing we see people do pretty commonly is some kind of rewards program. Yeah. Right. So, frequent visits have a, a benefit of some kind. It could be, you know, in your case, I would love to see something more personal. Do you have a Jumbotron? Like, do people end up.
0: No, what's hilarious for us is the 1926 ballpark. There's no suites. There's no digital scoreboard. It's it's we do the entertainment inside the stadium. So okay. the grandstand. I'm not sure if
1: there's a jumbotron because honestly, I mean, who doesn't go to a ball game and want to end up in the jumbotron? Yeah. Like that's like a goal. So there could be a way if that were the case. For example, you could imagine like just knowing where you know. and I'm not saying your most frequent returning fan. Yeah. But there's a tipping point. Where is the fan that maybe has come three times? is showing an indicator of becoming, you know, and how can you show that fan that extra, how can you encourage them to, if they've come three times, what's the tipping point to getting them to come 10 times? Yes. And it could be that if you know where they are somehow, if you know where they are in the stadium, if you had a jumbotron, like throwing them on the jumbotron would trip their mind to saying they now feel like extra special.
0: No, that's interesting. I mean, the second, third time, I mean, we bring our players in the crowd, deliver roses, we deliver bats, high bats, balls. There's, so there's all those things. When you start seeing a little bit coming around, how do you do that extra, extra step. That's the hug marketing, put an extra hug in there. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Well, even on a broader level, so going back to the
1: visual, the concentric circles. So if you look at the outermost circle, I call them lurkers because what that means, particularly, this is really important when it comes to social media. We all have, as we're gaining visibility in our businesses, we have people that are lurkers, right? they're out there watching us on social media, but we have no idea they exist. Okay, So That's an important part of social media. When people get discouraged about social media, they don't feel like it's working. I'm like, but you don't don't know who's watching you, that you just don't know them yet, Yes. right? So they're in that outer ring, but they're important. That's why you put consistent effort into social media. What happens is they then get curious. That's the next ring in, right? So they get curious to know more. So in one way or another, they step up. Maybe that's when they start following you on other platforms you'll find they start connecting with, you know, not just one platform, but they follow you on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the platforms at once. Next circle in is they, they actually step forward and engage with you in some way. So now they're commenting on your posts. They're, maybe they DM you, right? There's an actual course of engagement. And then they become actually connected. And that's maybe when they opt into your email list, likely because you've given them enough value at that point that they want a deeper connection. And it's at that point you can then, in one way or another, perhaps they become a customer either through direct invitation or the relationship to them just keeps deepening to the point that they then consider hiring you for your services or going to your ballgame. That's when they become a customer, Hmm. All right? The different customer to hugger is when you then start catering to that customer, expressing your honor and respect for them being a repeat customer. One of the ways you can do that is again, I think any relationally based business, which is true of most self-employed businesses. Yeah. You want to have a program that's prepared that people only find out about when they become a customer or they hit a certain level of retention. So in my photography business, we had something called a prepay offer that was sort of the hidden secret I revealed to customers after I worked with them once. Like after I worked with them once, I would say, you know, there's something in my business that you wouldn't know about because only my clients know about it. And what it is, is that next year, in February, you'll get an email from me inviting for you to prepay for your portrait session. It's going to save you a little money. But the most important part is, is it puts you on the waiting list before anybody else. I, when I, as a photographer, I have not so much now, but in the days I had an eight to 10 week waiting list, right? So this is how I put people on the front of the line, right? So I always put my existing customers ahead of the line. There was much less availability for new customers. Hmm. And what does that also do? It creates demand because the best words in sales are sold out. <laughs> <laughs> now
0: you're speaking my language. Now
1: you speak my language, right? So it's that's what I mean by that. Turning them into huggers is yeah. literally they go from a customer that's transactional or even relationship based to that customer that when you see them, you're going to hug them. Like I can't imagine not. Back in the day when we used to be allowed to see pe- people and hug each other, I can't imagine seeing my best photography clients and not hugging them. It just yes. would
0: be unheard of. Because you built the relationship. So obviously, relationship is is huge as far as, when you talk about the emotional journey, so you're self-employed, you really want to get more control over your business, have a better system. What else goes to play, comes to play in the business strategies?
1: Yeah, I'm going to skip over that and talk about what I think really answers that question, which is one, I think one of the things you can gain the most power of your business is what I refer to as a business model of multiples. Okay. Okay, so which is, you know, multiple income streams is one way of looking at it. And this is where, again, where I've been doing business differently for decades is whereas as a photographer, I had probably the most niche business you can imagine. I photographed very wealthy people in a very traditional pose in color. Like it doesn't get much more niche. But that was the 80s and 90s. And people were throwing money on the wall. Like anything you did in business stuck like spaghetti. Like everything worked. The internet comes along. The world gets louder, like it's harder now. I've been in business long enough. No, it's just flat out harder. You know, it was easy in the 80s and 90s. There was so much money being thrown around. That's not the case now. So now we have to work for that money and I'm all for it. I think it's awesome. So I was looking for a solution. So I just think the business model multiples that I've kind of reframed the terminology of niche or niche, however you want to pronounce it. Actually, I like calling it niche, so I can say "ditch the niche." Yes, (laughs) but I like to reframe it to mean it's not about the one thing you do in the one audience anymore. It's about what is the one thing you're known for, for which there are multiple audiences and multiple ways you can do it. Mm. You're not all over the place, right? There's an area of expertise. My area of expertise are is self-employment. All right, so you know, there's not a lot of writing in my audience, but there is as far as industry. I mean, it's a huge, massive audience, but. How do I deliver that message? Well, I've got a podcast, self-employed life. I'm putting out a book. I'm doing a summit. I've got training programs. I'm launching the self-employed business school. Like there's multiple mediums that I can deliver my expertise. So what that creates in this business model of multiple, I like to describe it as a wall of levers. So imagine you have a control panel of levers in front of you for which you have control of to decide which levers you want to push up and which you want to push down perfect example is during this pandemic, right? So people like you and I, that lever of speaking, live speaking got pulled down without our, out of our control. Yes. Boom, down. The question is, do you have other levers that can get ramped up? So in my case, I looked at my lever, which was already in place. And it was the work I do around lingo, which is helping people with the brand messaging on their website to make sure they're attracting their ideal customers. It's a whole eight week program I have that I crank out. Well, I ramped up that lever so high that it completely sustained my entire year because it's virtual, it's a broad audience, and it's actually exactly what everybody needed then and needs now because there isn't a business out there that doesn't need to reconsider their brand message because what you were saying a year ago may not work right now, Mm. right? Are you showing the same level of empathy and understanding? Are I mean, I've worked with gyms like they have to talk about sanitation they've never had to talk about before. How are they protecting people coming to their gym?
0: So what are you known for is the key. So start there. What are you known for, which I love? What are you known for? And then what are the business models underneath that? So how would you, looking at me, who you know me a little bit, how would you look at that? What am I known for? And then what would be those business of multiples? Literally, it sounds cliche,
1: but doing business differently. Yeah. Right? What you've done with Savannah Bananas is an expression of that. It's not your everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. Yes. Right? because that's what makes you a speaker. When you, yeah. go, when you speak on stage, you're not speaking about Savannah Bananas or even how you built it. You're talking about how people can take what you've learned from doing that and apply it in their own business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So, it's- so you pull what you are known within that. Correct. What you are known for, look at Brene Brown, let's use somebody like that, because everybody yeah. knows the name. Like, she's what not, is known yeah, for vulnerability? Yes. Or Simon Sinek's another example, right? They're known for an area, but then They take the lessons from that area and use it in different areas to broaden the possibilities.
0: And then so look at what all those different business models are underneath that. So for instance, for you, you've got speaking, you've got your podcast, and you've got consulting, you've got some of it. Those are your business multiples all under what you're known for. Correct.
1: So you've mentioned most of the speaking, um, and I've got a specific program, which is for brand messaging based on my previous book, Lingo. And now I'm introducing the Small Business Consulting Program, which is specific for self-employed to get their ecosystem in shape. Yes. So I've got that. Unfortunately, I have to call it the Small Business Consulting Program because nobody's searching for self-employed, right? <laughs> right? But yeah. when they get there, they realize that's I'm very specifically for that. I've got book royalties. I've got a LinkedIn course. I've got, I've got one category I just call royalties because I just yeah. get these royalty checks every month. It's a nice stream of income. I've got a coaching group, which again, I mentioned earlier, loyalty. My coaching group, nobody knows about unless you've become a coaching client, right? It is a follow-up to working with me in either one-to-one, which is another income stream. I've got one-to-one coaching. So working with me one-to-one, my small business consulting program, the lingo branding program. If I've worked with you, then you're invited into the group because the goal of the group is to put together an incredible group of people that help each other stay on track.
0: How do you have Uh, control over all this? So the big thing, the big problem we talked about in the beginning was self-employed having control you have so many business multiples, how do you have control over that? But that's just it. If you look at it as a panel of levers,
1: yes. I mean, to me, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were just saying about what is your area of expertise. Yeah. A quote I use all the time, and it's one of my own, it sounds cheesy, but it really works for this, <laughs> is that you can wear many hats if they all hang on one hook. Okay. All right. So the key is, is, to me, you are the guy who represents how to do business differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? You really... How you figured out to do what you did with this ball team is phenomenal. I mean, a post you had on Facebook recently about what your life looked like five years ago to today. Like, I always thought that story was 20 years ago. Like, to imagine what you have done in five years, who the hell doesn't want to learn what you have going on in your head to do that? You know how to turn ideas upside down. People want that. So that's a speaking platform. So in a way... Yeah, actually, your experience in Savannah Bananas is a sort of like mine as a photographer in that if you had asked me 12 years ago why I was on this planet, I would have said to be a photographer. Hmm. Now I look at it and say, man, that, that has been a hell of a 35-year training ground yeah. for me to teach other people what I learned along the way.
0: Yeah, 100%. So I'm thinking about the business owner who's listening to this right now. And what's interesting, they might have this business that they've been leading, and now they're developing a personal brand. And a lot of the self-employed people are becoming personal brands. But they have that business as their link that they can help talk about, they can help share. And what's interesting is the more they talk about helping, I'm talking about business, marketing, all that, it helps the other, the main brand as well, because people are interested in that. So it it is almost all fit in that one hook in a way. But how does that go into, you talk about a product suite, which I loved, you know, look at what Apple does. How does that fit into there? You know, everybody talks about Apple
1: in so many other ways. But I think the thing that overlooks is the genius of the product suite, right? People talk about other things that they've done very cleverly or their marketing or their brand identity. But the fact of the matter is it's so, it's almost so subconscious. A lot of people aren't aware of how hooked you are. Yeah. And it is annoying. I mean, but their products are so integrated. You don't have much of a choice to switch, <laughs> right? And that's why the joke is like, if you buy one Apple device, you're going to buy all of them because they're so integrated. And I mean, airdrop is like my favorite thing in the world because I have so many Mac devices that to be able to just airdrop one thing to
0: another device is like unbelievable ease
1: it, with me, for it's me. It's
0: fascinating. So let's dive into this. This is really interesting from a business standpoint. I think often we have this product, we have this product, we have this yeah. product, The synergy from whether a small business or self-employed. What have you found other businesses, other, I mean, Apple's done it tremendously, but have you yeah. seen other examples or even yourself that's doing yeah. this really well?
1: So I'll use my photography business as an example again. Cool. Create something unique. Like what I create as a photographer, they're photographs, but they yeah. can't be replicated by anybody else. Why? Because I spent a long time developing a finishing technique. My photographs are framed because they're large on the wall. They're framed without glass. Yeah. And I developed a unique finishing technique that would, it's a lacquer, but with a texture to it. So it can't be replicated right? So they can't hire, if they hire another photographer, it's not going to match. And to my clientele, affluent people, that would be like putting the wrong upholstery in the living room. Like they're not going to do it. And they knew that was an emotional hook. Consistency is a huge emotional hook, right? So I created a finish that can't be replicated. So hiring another photographer, it almost makes it impossible to do so. I also, the the framing, the products that surrounded and supported, this is very similar to Apple, the products that supported my photographs, the frames, portrait albums, accessories, things that came with it, holiday greeting cards were all custom made. So I locked them in because if they want their frames to coordinate or match, they're my custom designs. I worked with a custom frame maker to make them, they can't be replicated. Mm. Okay, so it's customization for one, it's also, the other way I look at it, and I, I talk about this in the book, as a step-up, step-down business model. And this is another way to, and I, this applies more to my coaching practice. I just mentioned about my coaching group. Yeah. My coaching group is a step-down mm-hmm. because a lot of businesses focus on is getting their customers to always step up. You know, they come in at one level and you upsell them, Yeah, yeah. right? I look at it more as a, a great meal. You know, you go for a great meal. There's the three, four courses, right? You've got maybe an appetizer to start with. You've got your main course. And then you have a dessert, right? And depending on how fancy you're going, there might be a couple of other courses in there, or even the, the after dinner drink, right? So there's this, there's an up and down to the experience, the peak being your main entree. So I look at, that's what I create as a business model in the book, right? Is a step up, step business model, knowing at what level your customers are gonna come in. It doesn't mean they come in at the lowest level. I'm not necessarily a proponent of bringing everybody in at the $47 level and then upselling them. They might come in, like my client, most of my clients come in mid-level. I have less expensive products, but that's not really my goal. I have videos and things you can buy. But I like them to come in through my programs, which are more programmatic, the Lingo Branding, Small Business Consulting. Mm-hmm. They kind of come in mid-level. And then once we've worked together for two or three months, then they might step up to my, high, my main meal is one-to-one coaching, minimally six months. And then once we've worked together, either one-to-one or any of my two coaching programs, then they're invited into my coaching group, which is a step down. It's actually rather inexpensive. But what it does is it keeps us in a relationship. It's a product. Yeah. So your step up and step down and your services can be connected together in a way that people are just staying in this flow with you over the long haul. Until they might stay in my group long. And as many of my clients have, they stayed in the group long enough to circle back around to saying, you know, what? I want to go back to one-to-one coaching. I need more support.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess what's interesting bringing it all back to the self-employed life, it's having synergy between everything. So there's always, you always have the opportunity to hug them, to be around them and keep them from one thing to the other. But we're basically battling churn. You're battling the opportunity of people just leaving, which you learn yeah. obviously in the photography business. I mean, is that the big thing from a business strategy to really think about? I mean, I'm just trying to think the main thing from your business strategy that we should take out of this.
1: To me, the main thing is regardless of what your business is, is yeah. set up the environment, right? Okay. So certainly one of the components that we haven't really touched on it, is personal development. And the reason I focus so much on that is because I live by a quote by Jim Rohn. It's repeated in this book, I think six or seven times. <laughs> and the quote is that your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development. Yeah. I look at it as capacity. When you increase the capacity yeah. of your abilities, your skills, you've unblocked your own mindsets, like all of that as far as a personal development is part of increasing your capacity, it's like opening up air, it's like raising the ceiling. And when you do, guess what? The success you're seeking will automatically come in and fill in that space. Mm. It just does, right? But if you're limited by your thoughts, if you're limited by your systems to get practical, like one thing I, I point out in the book, a lot of businesses have systems in place, their CRM, email marketing, they have systems in their business for the business they currently have. Mm-hmm. When you should have bit systems in your business for the business that you're going to have. That you want to be. The ceiling has to be higher than your current business because if you constantly keep your personal ceiling as well as the ceilings of your systems in your business, if you constantly keep it higher than your current level of success, that space can't help but be filled.
0: I love this increased capacity conversation yep. because I yep. think that's what capacity is something that limits us in so many ways. You think capacity of the business, capacity of your mind, capacity of everything you're working with. You mentioned there were three questions you should ask to help with that, right? Personal development in the book. Yeah.
1: The starting point is people want to make a change. Yeah. All right. How do you, that brings up the question how do you really get people to make a change? And I've been looking at the nature of motivation for years to figure out how to help people because I look at myself, I look at other people. It's not easy to motivate people to stick with something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And what's the difference? So the fundamental question I work with my clients and, and help them get clarity on is not what you want to go towards. But to start with, what is it that you want to get away from? Interesting. Right? The problem is most people haven't grown to hate what they want to get away from enough to actually do something about it. It's mm-hmm. not until, you know, it's the proverbial rock bottom when it comes to addiction issues, right? Nobody overcomes whatever they're addicted to, whether it's a substance or your limited beliefs. Nobody overcomes what it is they're stuck in a cycle of believing yeah. until they realize they want to get away from it so bad that the the results of that, whatever's holding them back is bigger than where they want to go. So I start with that. I have to start with that. I make it really clear. The simple one is money, right? How often I work with people. It's like, what are you tired? I'm so tired of working really hard and not having as much money as I want. Like that's Mm. something worth being sick of. Mm. If you're sick of it, are you ready to do something about it? Because then that's when we start the real work.
0: I'll get personal here with you. And it was interesting when you talk about that with even just money. I started as an unpaid intern. My wife, Emily, started as an unpaid intern. Her first full-time job in the business, she made $19,000. I was paid as a general manager $27,000 as a GM running a team. And going in a baseball business in the industry, we know that the salary cap, like what people paid is just so low. And so the idea of paying me or Emily is almost makes us sick to our stomach because we know of the industry. And it's a capacity issue. So we try to find all these other, I mean, I, speaking, Emily does Airbnbs, we do all these other things because in the business, we know the way it is. And that's interesting to get over that because of the way you've seen it before. And I'm just, I'm intrigued by that because you think about what you're teaching in the self-employed life, we're used to what we, how we grew up in this thinking, you know, if we feel like money, making a lot of money is not, we don't feel we deserve it, feel yeah. right to it, then good luck trying to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I worked with a coaching client a while back that had really done incredible things to improve his life from which he came from, Yeah, It really improved his, he had pretty considerable success. I only knew him at that level. I knew him, he had a pretty big public image, and I knew him by the appearance of being very successful and the way he lived now. Yeah. But as I started working with him, I just, and the reason he's reaching out is, and he was broke. Yeah. Okay. So it was that weird dynamic. It's like you have a massive platform, tons of followers have written a couple books and you're broke. And and I don't fault anybody for that because you know what? I don't hold back. I think it's wrong to put people on such a pedestal. First of all, I think we're all in process of dealing with probably the very same thing we're helping other people overcome. Oh yeah. Okay. It's almost always the case. I know personally I've had so much relationship therapy in my life that <laughs> uh, I'm more apt to take advice from somebody who has also struggled in relationships. I don't want the oh, relationship yeah. therapist who's never been divorced. Like I want to know your want to know what you've been through because there's more lessons there, right? So yeah. I never fault him or anybody for I don't see it as imposter syndrome yeah. and I and I don't see it as somebody being disingenuous or inauthentic. Yeah. He's a very authentic guy. Just the problem was he wasn't shifting his mindset. And I wound up saying to him at one point, when I really started realizing, just in subtle ways, I was starting to realize that where he came from was very different than how he's currently living. So I said to him, I said, have you by far exceeded financially your childhood and your siblings and your, your parents? And he goes, oh yeah, by a long shot. I said, that's hard. Yeah. And you know what, Jesse, honestly, it's been my case as well. So I, I got it. And I said to him, I said, the problem is no matter how successful you come, your mindset around money is still in the hood. Yes. hundred percent. Right. And that's where he was stuck in. I mean, it was a hard thing to say to somebody that changed his life because yeah. he realized that no matter how much money he made, no matter how successful he was going to be, he was going to get rid of it because he was so uncomfortable feeling quote unquote, better than where he came from. He had to let that go in order to move forward.
0: I understand. Have you seen the, I'm going here, the notebook, Oh, and gosh, you know, a long time ago. Noah Calhoun and yeah, yeah. All right, there is a scene that I shared on LinkedIn maybe a year ago and it got more traction than I could have imagined, but it's the main character's name after they were in the water and they're in the boat and it's pouring rain. And he's like, I wrote you this many times. And he holds her and he's like, what do you want? What do you want? And he keeps saying to her because she doesn't know if she wants him or the other guy. And he keeps yelling, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And she couldn't answer. She yeah. couldn't answer. And I think about it so many people right now, we don't really have defined clearly what we want. I'm sure that's probably a big issue and challenge as you've been working on this self-employed life and teaching this. It's understanding that capacity, what those negative things that are influencing you. What are those business strategies? You don't know what you want. And yeah. I, I love the question. You said, what are you known for? What do you want? I mean, is that, I feel like that's the number one thing we got to figure out because maybe you don't want a have business of multiples. Yeah. Maybe you want to yeah. just have one little thing that you do.
1: But see, initially I start the other question, which is, what do you not want anymore? Yeah. Like that's where, like, what do you want to get away from? Like, to me, I start with what is it that you want to get away from that you never want to see again? It could be I never want to, I want to get away from feeling like the shoe's going to drop. I want to get away from not having money to meet my bills. It could be I want to get away from yes. working 24 seven and not being there for my family.
0: That's a different strategy. I think that's probably yeah. because it's sometimes it may be easier. We, like, we ask everyone on our team who should not work for our company and we interview them and we show it. And we write down who should not, but we, we're clear on the people that don't fit.
1: I'll tell you how I I mean, I wound up studying this in such an esoteric way because I, the big question is what creates motivation? Is it the push or the pull? All right. That's where I started just looking at that. And if you look up, like if you literally Google or do some research, there's no definitive answer. But one of the scenarios is that, well, if your car runs out of gas, do you pull it or you push it? You push okay. it. Right. And then I started looking at, so I'm a serious sea kayaker, I kayak for my partner and I will kayak for four or five hours on a Saturday and Sunday. And I'm the front guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Even though I should be in the back guy because I weigh more than him, but I'm in the front because I did yoga for so many years. I can sit with my legs crossed and he can't. So <laughs> I take the front. And one thing I observed kayaking, now this is sea kayaking, And I say that because we're dealing with current and sometimes it's extremely rough. Like this is not a placid pond, yeah, like this yeah, is yeah. sea kayaking. And what I've noticed is that I can stop paddling And we continue to move forward at kind of the same speed in a way, right? But if he stops paddling, we slow right down. It is so much harder. And the point is, is I'm pulling. That's hard. Mm. I'm pulling all the, and the the metaphor is I'm pulling all the weight behind me, just like we do in life when we're dragging the old crap behind us and we haven't been done with it in order to move forward. Right, So dragging stuff behind. So pulling as hard as I decided that what I needed to demonstrate here is what the root of motivation was helping people learn. Initially, you've got to take a push. When a swimmer dives into a pool, he pushes off the edge to get away from that edge. That's the beginning of motivation. It's not the dangling carrot of what we want to go towards yet. First, you have to start with what is it that you want to get away from and own it. But Jesse, here's the most optimistic thing I think we can probably say in this conversation is that first of all, I tend to work with people that are of some age. And so I'm working with people that have some years behind them. And many times they have many years in business behind them. That's kind of my sweet spot, at least a few years in business. What has always amazed me is, man, if you get this stuff, your life can change so quickly. This is not long-term therapy. Like it is amazing to me to see the light bulb go off when somebody like that gentleman I was speaking about before, when he understood that mindset was keeping him, he just was so uncomfortable with being more than his family as he saw it, once he got that, boom, it changes. Yeah, And that's the most opti- thing, optimistic thing I can say. There's, there's truth to the old adage that life can turn on a dime. Man, if you have a good awareness led by a trained and appropriate coach, it could be life-changing instantaneously, and now you're
0: rocking and moving. Game over. All right. Yeah. There's a lot we could go into here. I mean, <laughs> I even wrote down the daily habits. I love the what's going right journal, the growth jet. Gen- I love that. Can you maybe just give a little bit about that before we finish up? And then I want to go to a few yeah. other things.
1: Yeah. So the growth jet lag is such an important thing to point out because I just like to, it's like a forewarning because the truth of the matter is there is a lag of time from when you've made changes in your life and the universe catches up to you, whatever the universe means to you. I look at it, you can even look at it specifically. If you break somebody's trust, you're not going to instantaneously get that back. And I don't mean a customer. Let's say in an intimate relationship, you break your wife's trust, you're not getting it back real quick, you know? You can take all the trustworthy actions, but there's a lag of time before you earn that back. So I look at it as, you know, that's just the way it is in business too. It's the way it is in personal growth and in business changes. Like you can, man, I can work with my as I do. I work with my clients. I dive into the mentality of their customers. I help them rebrand, create incredible brand messaging. And they are, they stand there with amazing pride. Like they know it. They have finally gotten it clear. The world will know exactly what they do, who they can help. It's perfect. Why isn't the, email or I have emails pouring in. I'm like, because the world hasn't caught up yet. Like you yes. just put it out there. Yes. I point that out as a growth jet lag, because there's always a period of time from when you make changes into those changes catch up. But here's the thing, and this is where comes back to the daily habits you mentioned. This is completely unscientific, but in observation, I couldn't find any science to back me up on this. Um, <laughs> but in observation, I have seen that there is a correlation between how committed you are to consistent daily habits and mindsets and how quickly, how long that growth jet lag is. If you're lazy in your effort, you're not gonna see the results for a much longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have this group, the sustainability group, because once I've made the changes, I now want people to stay consistent in their daily habits and their practices and their mindsets and you know, not drifting back to, things that, you know, inner critics and things that hold them back. We need to stay away from them so that the universe around you, the world around you, even your market can catch up.
0: That's brilliant. I I think about it. I started posting every day on LinkedIn two and a half years ago. No likes, no comments, nothing going on for the first few months. Very few speaking appearance, but I kept staying to it, you know, Monday then became Monday through Saturday, took Sundays off and it all started coming. It took probably a year, until it started happening. But exactly. it was that like consistent, creating, over-consuming, and putting yourself out there. That was yeah. very good. Yeah, and it's one of the hardest
1: things for most business owners to do is to say that consistent because we like the applause. We need the wins. It's really hard to, to keep at it, so I commend you for that. It's well, you strange. gotta
0: keep coming at bat. I share in almost every keynote, You know, there's one major league player who has more hits than anyone else that ever played the game, Pete Rose, 4,192 yeah. hits. He has yeah. 14,000 at bats, Jeffrey. Yeah. He has 2,000 more at bats than anyone that ever played the game. Of course he has more hits. He has yeah. 2000 more bats.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I'll be honest with you. I love you, but I like sports. I like, I know nothing.
0: Oh, and so, that, I am not into baseball as much as I yeah. used to, but, but I looked it up.
1: I'll use metaphors though. Like I said to somebody recently that I'm taking so many swings at the fence right now because <laughs> I've got so many things going on. I'm like, of course I'm going to have more misses, you know, oh, yeah? I mean, I'm taking a lot of swings right now to get this book out there in the world. Like, I expect there to be. And just knowing that ahead of time
0: helps. Yeah. No one talks about the Amazon phone and it was a $200 million mistake. <laughs> I forgot about that. You're right. You see, you see what I'm saying? We don't talk I do, about yeah, that. Yeah, I it forgot about it. Huge yeah. swing and a miss. And that's the mindset. And the, Google whole, glasses for that matter too, right? All, all of those. I mean, there's yeah. so many, but that's uh, Jeff Bezos said our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. Yeah,
1: I just feel bad for Mr. Segway. <laughs> he didn't get to say that. Now, I mean, now we got scooters in every city yeah, yeah. And running all over the place. Like, he was onto it a long time ago. Yeah, if
0: he, just, he had some <laughs> yeah. business of multiples, he had some if, additional. If he didn't ones. go off the cliff, we, you know, he may have been around long enough. Yeah, he's probably, he's probably okay. A few quick rapid fire. I just right, want to go a few quick rapid fire. Marketing Minute, what's the best thing you've done to grow your brand?
1: I'd have to think which brand. Best thing I've done to grow my brand. Honestly, this is it. I mean, this has been a huge step for me is to narrowing down. I used to narrow down to self-employed right? Because I used to think I was for entrepreneurs and then realizing that is a big pool. And there's a lot of people plus swimming in that pool. Nobody's talking to self-employed. So that has been the biggest move I've ever done. And it has given me incredible brand identity. Like people just, I want to be synonymous, you know, Simon Sinek. Why? I want to be Jeffrey Shaw, self-employed. Like I want to creating that synonymous feeling.
0: So it goes back to that question that you talked about. What are you known for? And if you can't answer that, and that's whether it's an individual or your business, I mean, we're very clear with our business. It's we make baseball fun. It's a circus, and a baseball game will break out. We're very clear. People think more of us of a circus than a baseball game. And yeah. for me, yes, it's the yellow touch. It's standing out. It's being different. What are you known for? And this is what we're starting to be known for a little bit too. <laughs> That's actually pivoting. Fans first. The name of our company is fans first entertainment. Yeah. Fans first is everything that we do. I'd love to know from you and whether this goes into also self-employed life, but something that you maybe have done uh, that was really fans first, either in photography or your books, your speaking, some real special moment that you went the extra mile to create something special for a customer.
1: I'll actually bring that back to my photography business. Details. You know, I mean my whole goal was to step ahead of them. And and one of the things that caught on, and that's the those are the best things. You know, Jay Bear, I think you know Jay as well. Yeah, he has oh, yeah. what's called talk triggers, right? Yeah. A lot of time I remember asking him, do are these talk triggers like the chocolate chip cookies with Double Tree? Are they Intentional or accidental, and I I think most often they're almost accidental. Like you put something out there, and you just realize people. And for me, in my photography business, we would produce these very expensive, custom-designed holiday cards. They're like ten dollars a card, and my clients would buy a thousand cards because they're CEOs and they know a lot of people. So they spend like ten thousand dollars on their Christmas cards, and we would give them a two dollar and fifty cent pen where the color of the pen closely, as closely as possible, matched the ink color of the return address on the envelope. So whoever was addressing the envelope, because of Mm -hmm. course, if they're going to be hand addressed, and of course, they were hiring somebody to do it. When they were hand addressed, it would match the return address. Now, you would think I gave them the most expensive thing in the world, how excited, especially the first time they got that that pen. It was the detail. It was so a step of them. They were like, wait a minute. You not only are giving us these cards, you thought to give us, and I gave them one pen per hundred cards because I don't want them to run out of ink, right? That was mind-blowing to people. It Mm -hmm. so put them first because what it was was actually a deep understanding of how particular they are because Mm -hmm. I know that there's no way they're going to mismatch that. So what's going to happen? They're going to send a nanny or somebody in the house or they themselves, they're going to be running all over the place trying to find a matching pen. So really what I did is save them time. We also, when they ordered their greeting cards, we also showed them what the U.S. Postal Service was offering for stamps that year. And they would pick the stamp that was appropriate for their family and friends. And we would order the stamps. We didn't put them on the envelope, but when they got their cards, they already had their thousand stamps. Why? So nobody has to go to the post office. I put their life first, Mm. right? I put how they live first. And I was so aware. Now, mind you, and you know this, I think about, you know, we mentioned earlier, I grew up lower middle class. Like, this is not, I had to learn this.
0: Yeah. But again, it's it's also knowing, I mean, everyone to an extent wants time back. You know, there's some, there's something they 100%. want time, they want their life back. If you can be more convenient, make it easier for them, you win. I mean, any problem, If you make it easier. In the new book, I talk about,
1: referred to as a frictionless, like yes. every business right now, because the value of time, somehow as businesses, we often think our customers prioritize money over time. They don't. Almost everybody prioritizes time over money, right? And, and they'll, they'll pay more money for time. Like I used to joke about it because as a photographer, my portrait sessions used to be three hours long because that's how people saw value in having a lot of my time. Now, you know, in later years, they would pay me more to see me less. I didn't take it (laughs) personal. It's just how they lived, (laughs) right? So, anything you could do to give people back time. So, in businesses, I look at it as frictionless. Like go through every touch point. How can you take away any friction? Whatever the friction is, make it so easy because we are trained Uber and Lyft and TaskRabbit, these apps have trained us for frictionless.
0: My first step of every keynote, I say the step to innovation is eliminate the friction. You want to innovate, come up with new ideas. How can you eliminate friction in a better way? And that's what we've been trying to do. And it's funny, you mentioned that saving time. When I close on a house, I challenge the uh, attorney. I said, how, What's the fastest close you can do you've ever done in your life? Because you usually sit there for an hour and you sign all these papers, so he goes, I think after 20 minutes, I go, let's do 10, and just <laughs> give it to me inside. And, like, because again, it's time. I just, you know, let's move on. I think we all want that. So, Jeffrey, this is, you're on to really good stuff, really important work. Is there any kind of final thought you want to leave?
1: Oh, gosh, final thoughts. You know, this is just to be proud. You know, I mean, it's a big part of the book is, and as we were discussing early on, is that, I mean, I want self employment. What I'm at right now is more of a mission than a book. I'm launching a book as a representation of the mission. After I wrote the book, I also started a uh, a grassroots movement called Voices of the Self-Employed. The sole goal of it right now is to collect emails because I truly believe there's going to be some legislation opportunities down the road that we're going to need to pull together some petitions of self-employed business owners in the United States really quick. And I want to be ready to go. Like I want Mm -hmm. to be boom. When I call the action is available, I want to show up on somebody's door in Washington, DC and say, I have a petition of 10,000 self-employed business owners. We need this legislation on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So I started an advocacy group. So there's a lot of mission built into this. And a big part of the mission is be proud of being self-employed. When Mm -hmm. somebody asks you, what do you do? Say, I'm self-employed. I'm a self-employed business owner, not a freelancer, not small business, not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur isn't even a business model. Like to me nowadays, when people say they're an entrepreneur, it sounds like, okay, so you don't have a job right now, right? Say you're self-employed. That's what I want to leave people with is own that badge with honor.
0: I love it. Well, you're the man for the people. You're a man for this. Proud, I think is key. And Jeffrey, man, it's a great book. The summary is fascinating. I'm intrigued to read it. And I appreciate you. Thanks for being with us, my friend.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.